Hi everyone, welcome back. We are super excited to have you here. Today is going to be an amazing chat with our first ever expert. But before we get into that, I did want to clarify that we do not have our podcast on Himalaya anymore. Instead, we have it on WeChat blog. So for the China users, please do look at our WeChat blogs. The episodes are there and the summaries are there. So essentially we have like two blogs, one for people who are in China and another blog that's on the website, the www.yogaavicmon.com forward slash yam podcast. So if before we might have said yam blog, please ignore that. That is our actual blog where we have information where we share, which it will not land you in the wrong place for sure, but it will if you're looking for the podcast. So it's the forward slash yam podcast from the website that you want to check out. So the podcast and the yam blog are two separate things. So now to our expert, woohoo, Linda Luxon, OM to the jizzle. Is she amazing? Linda Luxon has come into our Yoga Abhikma membership portal in November of 2021. That is for closed and paid members only that you can see the replay there. I highly recommend it. If you haven't already, the members have told me that they've watched it like two or three times because it was so good and like written down notes. So super great in that sense. Another time she has come and visited us is on, I think it was on day four of the Yoga Avikman Global Nutrition Conference. And oh my God, she shared about how to empower children to make healthy eating choices. And she made me cry. It was so amazing. And that is on our YouTube channel. You can watch the replay there. It was literally posted like a couple days ago from when I'm recording this now. But you will get to see it. And I highly, highly, highly recommend you go listen to that as well. If you like this episode, you're going to love Linda. She has so many amazing stories. She's like the friend of yoga avec moi. She's been in all single one of our events. She's amazing. We love her. She loves us. It's a mutual love affair. What can I say? Just love fest. Love, love, love in the air. And because she's so amazing, because she's an early childhood educator, she has so many things to share with our members. Without further ado, I'm going to stop here and just let you listen to the amazing Linda Luxon. Hi everyone, welcome to the YAM podcast. My name is Nal Hachbin, I am your host. I'm an integrative yoga therapist. On the YAM podcast, we have an episode dropping every Thursdays, so you're welcome to join us. And if you guys want to join in our conversation, which of course we want you to, please come and join us on the blog. It's at www.yogaavmoad.com forward slash yam podcast you type in the number of the episode that this is in and in the comment section as we're having this conversation you can just have your little commentating session being like oh my gosh i totally agree or like oh my gosh i heard something else or oh my gosh me too all of this we want to hear your voice and we want to hear your sound as you're 
listening to this podcast. So please do join us there if you would like to join. But if not, you can just listen to it wherever you are and enjoy. One other thing that I was going to say before we start is that usually on the Yam podcast, we have mothers who share their experiences and we talk about entrepreneurship and we talk about interests and deep interests in business and things like that. But also today for the very first time, we're going to have our first expert, Linda Laxen. Super excited to have you. So I'm going to read her bio so you just know how amazing she is. And Linda Luxon is an early childhood education expert who holds two master's degrees, one in education and human development with a specialty in early childhood education from the University of Colorado and one in curriculum and instruction from Southern Illinois University. She has over 40 years of experience as an educator of young children, including working with children with special rights. She currently works as a college professor, researcher, and educational consultant. She also mentors and trains teachers and parents on best practices in early childhood development. Linda is a strong advocate of developing positive, reciprocal, trusting relationships with children, their families, and educators. Yay! Thank I'm so you. excited to have you on. It's been we've been talking about this for a while. The last time we spoke, literally for an hour, we were our eighteen, our eighteen to be exact. We were trying to. I was trying. We were trying to say goodbye for a good hour. It was like an hour of trying to like peel away from each other because there was just so much goodness. And I'm like, Linda, we just need to record ourselves right now because our conversation is just getting so good and so juicy and i'm like i just can't wait to press record and to like have everyone else join us on the conversation so let me just set it up for everyone how we even got to even this place where you're speaking with us so i invited you initially on the yoga avic mom membership portal as an expert mm-hmm. to come and speak with us there and i told and i shared with you that we have 30 new moms who are coming on the membership from this product that i was interviewing all these moms about like what brings them comfort. And these conversations were so amazing and so deep and so wonderful. And I shared with you how some of the conversations that I had, women would would be sharing like their hearts like with me really. And sometimes they would share things with me and I felt like I was really ill-equipped to be able to be of assistance to them, which I really do think that was more of a perception than anything else. But I do think that because I did not, I do not have any special training in special needs. I feel like I'm ill-equipped to be able to share with them. But I know that we had an amazing conversation before where we got into all this and I knew you had insights that I wanted you to share with this, not only this specific mother, but also actually any other mother who's out there who has these, who has children who have special needs, but also for other people who feel like they're like more on my side where they feel like, oh, I don't have anyone around me who has children with special needs. I don't really know how to talk about these kind of situations. So to also help open their minds up too of how to like speak about it, talk about it, or like what is actually going on to basically go in in depth a little bit. Maybe you can start us off on, Lee, before we we started to record, you were about to share with me the synchronicity of this topic specifically. So please do share. Let's maybe we can start with that. Maybe we can start with what was asked to you on your social media page. Okay. As a matter of fact, I had gone on Facebook 
pretty late last night. And then I went back to it today because I wanted to sit on it a little bit, figure out how am I going to address this? Because the question that was being asked is of another educator who wondered, how do you assess children with special needs? And I term it as children with special rights. And so I was trying to figure out, because there are the standardized, the Briggs and other different as different kinds of assessment tools that are used. But if you're working with a child who potentially has autism, a child with autism, not an autistic child, it's incredibly important that we focus on the child and then say, okay, and this child happens to have autism. So how do you work with the child? How do you assess this child if this child is unable to verbally answer the questions. And usually in the assessment type programs that are out there to assess development, it's a question like, tell me your name, tell me where you live. It's standard question, where do you live? What's your phone number and all that? And what's this color, what's that? And if this child doesn't have the capacity to speak, if anyone's familiar with autism, it's highly likely that the child does not speak depending mm. on their age in particular. I worked with three to five-year-olds. And so how do you get those answers? And so that's what I was trying to figure out. How do I do this in a distinct way to say there are different ways to assess? It doesn't have to be tell me, but show me. And mm. one of the examples I gave the educator was one of the sections that asked specifically, do they know their colors? And what I would do first is I would assess the children. I would observe them. What are they most interested in? One of the children is love to use the markers, just would sit for hours if they had the ability and use the markers. So I thought, okay, I'm going to use the markers. So I put a red marker down and a blue marker down and I sat in front of them and I said, hand me the blue marker and I put my hand out. And if they put the blue marker in my hand, the red one's still on the table, I put a yellow marker down. I said, now hand me the yellow marker or the red, whichever it was. And we continued this game that we were playing hand me this I always make things a game hand me this color until they got a color that wasn't the match so if I said hand me a brown one and they handed me a green one because we hadn't got it was green and brown and they handed me the green one then I would do is I would just set it aside but I would incorporate back in and I would say this is green this is brown so we would keep doing it, always going over the colors they knew, adding the color that they weren't so familiar with so that we could, so each time we got together, the goal was is to help them to recognize the colors for their own self. Not because I said so or not because of anything arbitrary, but I was able to assess what colors they knew by playing this game back and forth. So that was one way they couldn't verbally tell me, but they absolutely had the capacity to show me that they knew the majority, if not all of the colors. And I did this with every single child in mm. the beginning of the year because they were nonverbal. And as mm. the year progressed, some of the children did become verbal and then I would help them to articulate pink, blue, etc. Yeah, Just how to do that. So for people who have never heard about autism or who know a little bit, but not quite a lot. Could you take us to the beginning? Let's right. start with what is autism? What is autism? Okay. First, it's a very broad and it can be mild and it can be, I don't know that I want to use the word severe, but it can be definitely from one 
ends to the other. And a lot of it's considered a developmental disability and each child manifests in a different way. One of an excellent movie that I watched that was 1979, if it gives you any kind of a sense, is that it was called Sunrise, S-O-N-R-I-S-E. And you can find it on YouTube. I highly recommend it. It was something that, as I said, a lot of times what ends up happening is the children go through their first potentially 18 months of life and they quote unquote are a normal child, but then something occurs and something different where some children become withdrawn. Mm. Some children lose the ability to verbally communicate. It really, it's such a broad subject. It's really hard to condense down into something simple, just a simple, straightforward answer. But it, what it does is it causes significant social communication and sometimes behavioral challenges that can occur. It depends on where they're at in the spectrum and how it manifests with each and every child. You, there's a lot online. People are, there's so much more to access than there was when I first started working with children. As I said, I just happened to watch that movie back in the late 70s, early 80s. And it just drew me in so much because the family was told, all right, we want to take your son and we're going to institutionalize him, which unfortunately that is what occurred a lot. Mm -hmm. And their family was like, no, he's our son. We love him. So they worked to enter his world. Because that's sometimes what happens when they talk about social social impact is that the child can become very withdrawn as though they're in their own world. Sometimes mm -hmm. they may rock. Sometimes they'll go back and forth. Sometimes there's so physical manifestation to their own so self. Nice. For some children, they may physically harm themselves. And you know what I've learned, there's a wonderful book. It's the history of autism. And I, when I first was hired to go to a school district, the full time, at that point in time, I was a substitute teacher and uh, they contacted me over the summer and said, hi, could you please substitute for this classroom for the whole year? Because the teacher is going to take maternity leave, pregnancy and everything be with her baby for the whole entire year and legally they can't take her job and give it to somebody else so sub has to come in so this is working with children with autism down syndrome developmental delays cognitive delays due to lead poisoning etc mm -hmm. so once i found out that i was going to be working in the classroom i got the book the history of mm -hmm. autism and i think it's like a 600 page book i read the entire thing Wow. Yeah. So there's a lot that goes on in there. But the key thing is, as I said, each child demonstrates and manifests differently. Sometimes they, they just get frustrated because they're trying to communicate, but they can't communicate. And so they may hit themselves they, in their frustration. If we think about it, when we get really frustrated with something, we might go oh, like this. Yeah. And so that might occur to them or they might hurt themselves. But mostly what I want to really focus on is that how can we as adults find a way to open that portal of communication? Because it's totally possible. And that's what I discovered the entire year that I worked with these kids. It was just being with them. And that's why I like that movie, because it was the parents just accepting their son 
or where he was and where they knew he could go because of where he had already been. And so they actually, there's a, there's a whole program. It's, I believe in the East Coast, maybe Massachusetts. I could verify that or get you the information because you can always put it up on here. But that young boy who they wanted to put into an institution because they didn't understand autism very much back then. They believed that what autism is caused from is a lack of love, a lack of connection, because Mm -hmm. a gentleman who had been, and I'm getting into the history part of this, but a gentleman Mm -hmm. who had been in a Nazi camp, he was a Jew and he was there. And what he saw of the adults is the more isolated the adults were, the less that there was any type of connection with them. There was no physical, emotional, verbal connection. These adults became withdrawn and sometimes even had behavioral challenges is what we call them for young children. But so when he managed to either get released or escape, he came Mm -hmm. to the United States. And so when he saw children with autism, he claimed that it was because of a mother's lack of love. And so much so that he ended up getting interviewed by Dick Cavett, which was a talk show host, a Jay Leno, or any of the ones that we have now. So he ended up in the 70s being on TV. And it turns out he was not a doctor, but because what he had seen, he associated the behaviors of children with autism as being that their mothers had to lack, not love them, not show love, not show compassion, which was totally the opposite. But can you imagine an entire United States, mothers who had children who had autistic traits or were on the the spectrum in any way, how incredibly challenging their lives became, Mm -hmm. people giving the side eyes and all that kind of stuff. And yet the reality was that wasn't Mm -hmm. the case. And so there's still so much more research that needs to be done. But Mm -hmm. what we learned is that through in particular that movie and then the research that I had done was the young boy who was portrayed basic on the true story he Mm. now runs the company in Mm. Massachusetts yeah and so they were able to work and to help him to even though I may still have autistic traits or whatever he is totally functional and as they said he came out of that isolation that world that we find hard to describe sometimes. There's a lot of science, there's a lot of details, and I'm not a full expert. And yes, I've read 600 plus pages, I've read research, I've, I've done some things in that regard, but there's just so much more to learn. And mm. but for me, the key was is show mm-hmm. love to these children and be willing to just be in their space, like mm. no judgment, no classification, because we all. Frankly, I think we're all on the spectrum to some degree. We all have different learning styles. We all have different capacities. And that actually should be embraced versus isolated or Mm -hmm. segregated per se. Yeah. So that's a big explanation. To go back to what you basically said is we just need to be with them in love. Stop putting the blame on who it was and who it wasn't, but really just spend the time of actually being like, how can we go deep into being in this child's world? So tell me more about this aspect. Like, how can we do this more? I'll use my own example, my own experience. 
On the first day that I was in the classroom with the children, there was one child who was in a fetal position on the floor. I totally, I'm an unfamiliar person. There's a couple of what they call them TAs, teacher assistants in the classroom, which were there the prior year. At least one of them was. I think the other one was a new one. At any rate, so they were familiar with that one person, but I was totally unfamiliar. And that is something that is very important when you're working with children with special rights, especially children with autism, in that they need continuity. So the one they thing- They need to build trust with you. Like exactly. In exactly. the beginning, to meet new people, they're like right. afraid, they're uncertain, there's all these things. So you right. be- and there's typically no eye contact anyways. So it's not like I can look into your eyes and say, hi, how are you doing? Kind of thing. Yeah. That is not something that would occur. And in this particular case, it did not. So this mm-hmm. child was in a fetal position, just screaming just Mm. at the top of their lunch, just screaming. And this was a child who was almost five. They typically in the public school system, I shouldn't say typically in this particular situation, many of the children who would be age-wise ready to go on to kindergarten, which is the first year of elementary school, they would stay back into the preschool room for one more year just for them to gain stability, et cetera, to be able to move on. So this child was screaming. And so what I did was I just got on the floor and I sat next to the child and I gently, I said, I'm going to touch your shoulder. I always communicate with children. I'm going to touch Mm -hmm. your shoulder. I'm here and I will be here for you. And then I just sat there and then the child pushed my hand away and I said, that's fine. I'm still going to sit here. And it's going to be okay. And so that happened on the first day, multiple times. On the second day, multiple times. On the third day, not as often. So gradually, by the end of the week, this child was no longer in a fetal position, screaming on the floor. Mm -hmm. And then little by little, over the course of the next several weeks and couple of months. So by the time we, now we start in August. So by the time October came around, October number, I was starting to make eye contact with this child. Then mm-hmm. we had no more after the first weeks, we had no more fetal positions, screaming mm-hmm. and being uncertain or being afraid. And so with each and every child, whatever they manifested, I was just in their space and just said, it's okay. I'm here. I'm going to, I'm going to be here. I'll keep you safe. And just conveying those words over and over, however many times I needed to say it. Mm -hmm. And so in time, we were able to gradually, by the course of the school year, to gain eyesight in terms of eye contact, is what I mean to say, is that they would actually come to me and look at me as Mm -hmm. though they wanted to communicate. And so by the end of the school year, every single child was making eye contact Mm -hmm. and every single child was communicating in some way, in some form or fashion. The youngest ones would more babble and the oldest, especially there were three or four, four that were going to be moving on to kindergarten, going on into their sixth year of life. And they, they would actually say words. And sometimes what happens is the words that in the very beginning, the words would just be repeating something that they've heard. It's called echolalia, where they would hear a song or a story and they would repeat it exactly over and over again. 
just to the detail, every single word was correct. And then eventually over time, they were able to actually pick out and say things instead of just repeating what they had heard and actually communicate. And one of, one of I think the two most profound experiences that I had just loving these kids, just being with these children was that at the end of the school year, when we have parent teacher conference and wishing them well into their next endeavor and that kind of stuff. One mother said, I know it's you because my child has been in this classroom for four years. And I know that whatever you did, I always thought I would only have a one and a half year old. I never imagined I would have a five-year-old or anything close. And then another mother shared that I wanted to tell you, other than I talked about the echo where this child would repeat over and over again the same things, this child actually walked up to their mother, took their mother's face and their hands, looked at their mother and said their very first words. She said, I will never forget these. They said, I love you, mommy. That was his very first words that he ever spoke knowledgeably and clearly and just knew exactly what he was saying. And she said, the tears just streamed down. And of course, the tears streamed down to my face when she was telling me that. And both mothers just conveyed that you gave me back my child. And it wasn't necessarily me. But it did have everything to do with how I approached and worked with the children mm. because I felt like we are partners in this and yeah. I will see every good in you and I will just accept you where mm. you're at each step of the way. Mm. There wasn't there wasn't a you must do this and you must do that. You must meet this goal. You must meet that goal, which is very common, especially in a public school system where everybody's got to be here before they can move up or whatever. But no, it was just, you meet the child where they're at, whether they have autism or not, you meet Mm. the child where they're at because you are growing their brain. Dr. Daniel Siegel, wonderful, does a lot of brain research. And he has said their brain's going to grow anyway. You're going to fire those neurons and create those neurons. So you get to decide Are you going to support this child where they're at to help them grow a healthy brain? Or is their brain going to develop based on neglect or mistreatment or miscare? Unfortunately, we hear words like, you're not good enough or you're not smart enough. And what does that mean? Smart enough of what? Everybody has their own capacity and they learn their own way. And if you find out where they're strongest, and you support that. Mm-hmm. You can teach them every single subject in the world, whether it's math or science or language arts or geography. You find mm-hmm. out what they're most in. If they love art, then bring math into art, bring science into art, bring geography, bring English, whatever it is. Discover who the child is. And once you discover who the child is, you give them the world. Mm-hmm. You give them every opportunity that it can possibly have. But it starts with being invested, being there and just pure love. So I have a question with these two mothers, like if they were to come up to you, or they probably already did and say this, that they were like, so what did you do with my child for me to do that too at home? So that mothers 
who are going to be the majority of the listeners of the Yam podcast. Whether or not their child is autistic, I think this these principles really do apply in terms of like really going in. Can you like rip open that veil of like, what does that look like going into their world? What does that look like specifically like following them where they're at? Can you just give example upon example so that Everybody is just crystal clear that, okay, I see it. I see what I need to do. Now you're talking from the child's perspective and not the parent's perspective? I'm talking about what can the parents do to witness their child in a way that to get into their world? Like how can they learn to notice and go into their world? What can Mm. they do? Because the thing is that I always think we're the problem. The adults are the problem, not the (laughs) children. So I'm always like, if you're not getting to them correctly, you're not figuring out you're not doing the right thing you're not doing going about it in the right way and the thing is the right way might not be anything that you've ever encountered in your previous life so you really do have to think outside the box so what I'm trying to say is that because there's so many different spectrums what is or is there a general sort of tool or method that someone can just be I'm guessing this is the yogic way of just being mm-hmm. present and watching your child and seeing, but perhaps like getting more practical, like when a child is doing this is could be done. I don't know if you have any examples about that. Okay. So I think one of the biggest things that comes into when I'm working with parents and I'm working with educators is that the first thing to really look at is what do I want to learn about this child? How can I find out who this child is? That's the goal. When we talk about observation and assessment, I'm teaching observation and assessment class right now. And everybody's particular, I'm like, you've got to do an anecdotal observation and you've got to do a running record observation. So it's very, and I'm saying, come away from the analytics. They're always going to be there part of life. Can you draw yourself into a childlike Mm. existence? How do you see? All right, let's just do it this way. I'm an adult. Okay. Good story was some, say some kid was in in college and he was so excited because he got this brand new computer and he loved it. It was, he could carry it with him. He could do this. And so he started talking it up to everybody because he was so excited about it. So now let's take a human being. What does this little being do that it just brings so much joy to you? There's Mm -hmm. always something. Yeah, Mm -hmm. there's going to be some things where you're like, oh man, ah, right? But ask yourself, why are you, oh man, ah, what's triggering in you Mm -hmm. to see that behavior as an, oh no, versus Mm -hmm. as a, I wonder why she's doing that. I wonder why he's doing it. Why are they doing that? What is it that I didn't catch beforehand? Because I'm catching the behavior now. And that happens a lot. I was like, stop doing that. But the reality is, were you present 10 seconds or a minute before? Exactly like you were saying, going into yoga and stuff like being present provides you with the opportunities to see why the behavior is happening, but then also to see what other wonderful things are happening. A lot of times we're back in the analytic phase of life. A lot of times what happens is 
we are fixers. We want things to go. We want the machine to go well. So yeah. we notice when the machine isn't working. We typically notice when the machine is working and that it's putting out lots of productivity and it's going along smoothly and it's mm. quite right. So we shut up till we hear that. And then all of a sudden we're alert and we're aware and it's like, okay, what's wrong with the machine? So mm-hmm. what I am looking at and focusing on is, can you notice the machine when it's mm-hmm. working and mm-hmm. notice the child, period? Mm-hmm. Who is this child? If we work so hard just to figure out, what do you like to do? Who are you? And in essence, we have a choice. We can try to work with it, we can try to work around it, or we could get really frustrated. And this is actually perfect from a standpoint of working with young children, actually working with anybody. But in particular, working with young children, I think the biggest perspective is to realize they haven't been on this planet very long, and they're demonstrating and manifesting emotions and feelings that they don't fully understand. So the, probably the best way to help them is to be in the moment mm-hmm. prior to. If you are more attentive, and I know that's really hard because some parents are working parents. Some households are a single parent household, and it does make it extremely difficult to be able to wear so many hats, not be exhausted, and then be attentive to a very incredibly active little person. Yeah. So finding the balance and giving yourself grace. Sorry, go ahead. I was just saying that, especially if you have other children too, that have needs. And at the same time, you're trying to balance and manage everyone's needs and your husband's needs and your own needs. There's just so much. Exactly. Exactly. And then, oh, really, we're coming in a little bit of a circle here. But when I talk about being attentive and just being present, sometimes that can feel overwhelming. However, if you look at it from a standpoint of if you were cutting an onion, would you be fully attentive? when you're cutting that onion so that you don't accidentally cut yourself? And how long does it take to cut the onion? We're talking minutes to do it. But you become attentive because you want to do the task, but you also want to be safe. So now if you use that mindset of, oh, I want to be attentive to my child because this is my opportunity to learn who they are. I think one of the most profound things a parent has ever said to me, and this is where I started to go before we got our technology difficulties here and got thrown off was when I was doing my final supporting of my master's thesis and research, you have to give a big presentation. And I asked all of the parents, I invited them to come because it was a public event and they could come. And one of the mothers said that they weren't going to be able to come because they had to care for their two children because their spouse would be working and stuff. And then I said, "My, re- I want to thank you as your child's expert for all the time that we have spent together and the opportunity to be a part of your lives. Because my research was on developing and creating trusting, reciprocal, positive relationships with the families that I worked with. And I said, and you as your child's expert. And she goes, I am not my child's expert. And I just was like, whoa, because 
this is what I have been saying all of the years that I've been working with parents because I want them to understand that they spend more time with their child than I do. I get a small piece of their lives, whether it's a year or in the particular education that I was doing, the children can go with you for up to three years. The same children stay with you. So it's still just a small, infinitesimally small part of their life. And she goes, I am I'm not his expert. He is the expert of him. I'm learning who he is. And that was so profound that I actually put that as I was explaining my research and just how much, because I did have some parents there of the children that I worked with, but just how profound that was. And I actually started crying in my presentation because it was like so deep, such mm-hmm. a deep, just such a deep statement of I am not the expert. He is the expert and I'm learning who he is and I'm supporting him along the way. And so taking that perspective of that little person in front of you is the expert of who they are. Now you get the bounty and gift of learning who they are. And I think if more parents had that perspective, how much different would we view parenthood? Yes. It's or just our role in parenthood and like how to guide our children. That's huge. Exactly. Exactly. So to me, that's, that encapsulates how do I become attentive? The first thing is I recognize that there's a little expert in front of me who is growing and developing and seeing who they are. They have qualities. They're all there. And we get the bounty of seeing them unfold. Yeah. There's actually, there's this example that I keep thinking, not of on a, an autistic child, but a child exhibits extreme frustration. Whenever you try to create, correct their behavior, like mm. they're so sensitive to criticism, they just crumble. And this is, yeah, this is not a diagnosis or anything nor am I sure that it is, but I was at a loss as to how to share with this parent how to go about doing that because I even had an experience with them personally where I was sharing with you things that me, by me saying this, it means that I don't love you. Or do you think that by me trying to say a different way that you could do something that I'm saying that I don't love you? And it helped, but it wasn't. It didn't quite go there. It didn't quite hit the spot completely. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you had any thoughts on that. If like a child is just like ex- gets impatient quickly or frustrated with themselves, if anyone were to critique. Okay. So yes, everybody has different sensitivity levels, but sometimes even the most, how do I phrase this? Who seems to have the most strength in accepting or receiving criticism or critiquing, it still impacts them. So the approach that I have taken, and I took even with my own kids, is what are you doing and why is it I have to correct you? It's It comes back to me as a parent. Is okay, why do I feel the need to correct you in this situation? And how much correcting am I doing? How much conversation am I spending with you on correction? Because if the majority, the higher percentage of conversation I'm having with you is correction or critiquing, yeah. 
I am going to, as a child, believe I'm not good enough, that no matter what I do wrong, this is offering to the child. This is a perfect example. I had children who would climb up on stuff. And instead of me saying, get down, get off of there, that's not safe. You need to get down. You shouldn't be doing that. Instead, I say, hey, feet on floor. And I walk over, depending on the size of the child, typically a younger child, and I will help them safely put their feet on the floor. And I'll look down at their feet and I see feet on floor. I tell them what they can do. I offer them what I'm seeking for them to do. In this case, it has to do with safety. Now, in other cases, what does it have to do with? Are they wearing their hair sideways? Or are they doing this? Well, that's personal preference. Yeah. And how does that shape the child? For me, the main focus is their character. So I will share all of the beautiful things that I see, virtues that I see within them. And as I articulate, hey, I saw you hand the book over to your friend because they wanted to read it. That was very thoughtful. That was very kind. So I am articulating in detail versus saying, good job, good job, job. A child doesn't know what to do with that. Just an adult doesn't know what to do with that. So the key part here is articulating in mm -hmm. detail based on their age, like the younger toddler, it would be, or even the infant would be feet on floor. That's enough articulation right there. They don't need any more. You don't need to explain anything else to them. And you're not, you are positively critiquing them, but their tender little soul is not being impacted in a negative yeah. way. And I'm not, it's really hard, especially as a parent, we get afraid. We want to keep our kids safe. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not critiquing a parent and saying, hey, you've done this wrong or you did that wrong. Perfect example, which I had shared with you before, is teach virtue classes with children. And pre-pandemic, I actually went to families' homes and I had a couple families in the same neighborhood. So we would alternate homes. And one week, the mom said, could we please talk about lying next week? Because my child lied to me. It was a blatant lie and I'm really upset and they lied to me. And I'm like, okay, I'll talk about truthfulness. And so the following week, I brought my books, the Berenstein Bears and Franklin and a couple others. Anyhow, so what ended up happening is I brought my books. I always have art. I always have music. We talk. When I read a book, it's really an adventure. And the children go on the adventure of here, Flynn, he snuck a cookie and he broke the cookie jar. And what do you think he felt? Why do you think he felt that way? What do you think is going to happen? And it's an opportunity for the children to experiment with their own emotions and feelings. And they go, oh, he's going to be scared. Why is he going to be scared? And so when everything was said and done and we finished our class and we had our snack and we always say goodbye with a high five hug or handshake because we got boys in there too, as well as the girls. But at any rate, I then spent time with the parents and said, okay, well, we talked about truthfulness. But now your part of the job is that you create a trusting environment for them to tell the truth. If you become angry, if they tell you the truth and you become angry or you take the time to tell them why they were wrong and what they did, yeah. they're going to be afraid to tell you the truth. Yeah. In that moment, you embrace the child physically and thank them for telling you the truth. And then you'd keep that little seed in your mind 
because there'll be a teachable moment some other time, not a, hey, because you, you did this before. No, you just, let's say they broke something like the cookie jar. They already know that they shouldn't have been sneaking the cookie. They already know breaking the cookie jar was not a good thing. So let's help clean it up. What can we do next time? Let them answer. Ask you for a cookie? Yeah, ask me for a cookie. Those are the conversations that you're gonna that you're going to engage in. By the time this was all said and done, the guest family, the other family went home and the guest family, their oldest child had disappeared and we discovered that something actually had broken. And when the mom, after I talked to the parents and explained what their job was and their responsibility, the mom went upstairs to get their child to have them come down so they could say goodbye to Mrs. Luxon. And but when the mom went up there, she saw her child with tears streaming down her face. And it was holiday time. They're a Catholic family and a Jewish family, so they celebrate Christmas and Hanukkah, and one of the ornaments got broken. Anyway, the mom was like, honey, what's wrong? She goes, mama, I'm so sorry. I broke your heart. It was a glass-blown heart mm. that accidentally fell off the table and broke. But this mm. little five-year-old was, like, stated, and mm. the mom just dropped to her knees and just hugged her child and said, it's okay. Everything's going to be okay. And normally as an educator, I do not see responses so quickly. And I may never see a response of the work that I do. But in this particular case, this happened to be the mother who said, can we talk about lying Yeah. in that whole situation? So it's being with the child from a standpoint of, I'm just learning, please. It's not just a matter of love, but it's a matter of a real awareness, a real connection of one, connecting to your own self. Why is this triggering me? Why do I feel like I have to say this? How will it impact my child going forward? And how can I use this as a loving, teachable moment? Or do I just hug my child? Or do, this is where the Dr. Siegel books come in, No Drama Discipline, is bring in the situation. If the child is having a meltdown, let the meltdown be there. Just like I ex explained in the beginning with the child who was autistic, just be in their space and say, I'm here for you. When you feel calm and you want to talk about it, we can talk about it. And ask open-ended questions. Oh, why do you feel that way? Oh, so you're afraid. Or, oh, you think you did something wrong. What can you do different next time? But you need to wait for them to get to that calm state because mm -hmm. when they're in the state of being upset, they're in the amygdala, which is the lower part of the brain. And that yeah. is our fight and flight and faint part. So mm -hmm. what we're trying to do is create new neurons. So we want them to be in their upper brain, um, yeah. but they can't process. And they can't yeah. explain anything if they're in their lower brain. Yeah. So patience and then understanding and asking open-ended questions. Not accusatory. Or I should say avoid accusatory because that will shut them down. And in essence, it will shut you down eventually too. But just, okay, so the cookie jar broke. Yep. You already know it's wrong. We know if we do something wrong, nobody has to tell us. Yeah. If somebody does tell us, what's our automatic reaction? I already know that we get upset yeah. at the person because we already know it internally and they mm -hmm. know it internally. They're just learning how to navigate this world. 
So help them navigate in a positive and loving and creative way of, all right, we're creating you to think about this. What could you do different? Yeah, I think that's excellent. That's an excellent way of sharing. Definitely, I had before I was like, looking all into this like parenting stuff there was one child i was at feast once and i was playing with them and i just like nonstop would just kept telling them like okay you need to do this differently or you need to do this differently and he stopped me and he was like all you say to me is things that i do wrong and everything you're saying is they're correcting me and i was like yeah because literally everything you're doing is like wrong but it really shook me that he had that clarity where he set me straight and he was like, do you think I'm going to want to talk to you if everything that you say is correcting me? And I was like, in my mind, I was like, no, probably definitely wouldn't want to hang out with anyone else who would treat me like that. But I was like, what do you do? In that moment, I was way far. I had zero understanding of parenting or like the patience or like any of this. So it was like really quite like the beginning of me like thinking, okay, so what does one do when a child's behavior is not, but then we have this role as adults to educate and to correct and to discipline and all these things. And yet, like, what is the, how do we do this? How do we do this? If, if, if we just like criticize, <laughs> obviously is not cool, but then the behavior is also not cool. So what do we do? So yeah, I think this but you, is that, Oh, thank you. And two, you said a word, a keyword, and it's discipline. greatly misunderstood, discipline. And discipline stereotypically has a very negative context to it. Yeah. But the reality is discipline when separated out is disciple. And a this is a follower of a greater entity. Some people call it God, some people say Baha'u'llah, some people say Krishna, Buddha, Zoroaster, whatever their belief system is. And a disciple mm -hmm. is a follower of that entity. And mm -hmm. so what, the, what we do for the disciple is guided to acquire attributes of oh, God, God, virtues. Okay, mm -hmm. so now if we look at how can I assist this young person? whatever their age is, first figuring out what their age is, but how do I guide or how do I provide an environment where they actually want to be there? Typically, when we have visible behaviors, then they're disconnected. So my job would be, how do I connect them to what's going on? Maybe what's happening is over their heads. Maybe what's happening, they have absolutely no interest because they don't understand it or they don't feel like they're a part of it. So I think the key here would be to do an independent investigation. What's the truth here? Why is this child, whatever their age is, manifesting behavior that clearly state that they're not invested in what's going on? And can I offer them an alternative if this is something that they wouldn't be invested in? Or can mm -hmm. I put it down to their level somehow? So it's, like I said before, games and that kind of stuff, it's like a game in that I am trying to figure it out. What is it that's missing here? And to going always back again, why am I bothered by what is occurring right now? Is it because I have a history, me personally, I have a history of children are seen and not heard. You be quiet. You sit still. You do nothing. And you do not speak until you're spoken to. Oh, 
before I gained all of a bit of my knowledge and information because I think in innately and intuitively I knew that wasn't the way we treat kids as I was growing up. It's like, yeah, no, I don't think so. But I wasn't that rowdy kid. I was that obedient kid. But I noticed in my own teaching when I was first in observing and that kind of stuff, if something bothered me, it was like, why is it bothering me? When one child takes another child's toy kind of thing, and it bothered me because kids used to take stuff away from me when I was a kid. Felt the injustice. So I'm now seeing an injustice or what I presume as an injustice may not have a problem with it. So in essence, the challenge was with me, not with them. And so that's yeah. why one independent investigation of your own self your own viewpoints, yes. your own history, what's triggering you. But then also, once you figure that out, then you go, okay, is there a way I can help this child? Because yeah. not because the child is doing something wrong, but because now I've changed my mindset to clearly he's not engaged, but why? Maybe I'll go mm -hmm. find out. Hey, would you rather be doing something else? Or, oh, here's some crayons and some paper. Here's this, some other kind of, he may be a child that needs to physically move in order to cognitively receive. Not everybody learns the same way, but that's mm -hmm. a whole nother subject. I'm so excited that you're going to be with us in our membership again for November. You're going to be our first planned expert. Like in October, what we had was asked a question that I wasn't quite 100% like comfortable answering. And so I was asking around people and seeing who could help me answer the question and they were sharing their answers with me. And then I was like, actually, I'm not comfortable sharing it myself to my members. So I was like, why don't you come on? And literally it was two hours before we were going live. And so it was rushed. Then I was like thinking, and then it was really successful and it was fantastic. And the members all loved it so much. And I was like thinking, oh my cool. gosh, I need to invite more people to come and to be within the membership. So you are going to be our first planned member expert talking in the membership. So the women are going to have more time with you to be able to ask one-on-one -on -one questions, the men and the women in the membership group. So super excited to have you there. So if there's anyone that wants to hear of Linda again, definitely come join us within the membership, Yoga Avec Moi's membership portal. You can find it on w.yogaavecmoiheal.com in the shop area. That's where you can sign up to come on the membership. We have three live sessions a month. One with an expert to with me answering questions on integrative yoga therapy and actually we're going to be starting three physical yoga exercises as well that we're going to do live so it's going to be three sessions and three physical yoga so anyone around the world can also watch it because the replay will be available on the membership portal and you're of course welcome to join us as well linda if you would like but yeah sending well, much you. love to you thank you so much and i guess we'll see you in the next episode all right bye okay thank you so much hope you guys enjoyed that podcast episode with our very favorite linda luxon come and comment on the blog post she's going to love to interact with you any comment that you leave, I guarantee she will respond. <laughs> she is amazing. Early childhood educator. Any of the mama bears out there who just want someone to listen to? I really wish Linda Luxon had like a YouTube channel because 
literally, I would watch it like day and night. She will be on my speed dial when I have babies. Like, no doubt. I'm gonna be like, Linda, what am I supposed to do with this? In the Global Nutrition Conference, she was sharing how she took her children to the grocery store and got them to choose like groceries and budget and teach them about money. So good. You have to go watch it. It's it's literally gold. So many other things that she shared in there as well, but the grocery story was the one that made me cry. Anyways, do join us in the comments of the blogs. Leave us a review. We always love to hear what you have to say about the podcast, especially about these expert series. Do you like them? Do you want us to do more of them? Let us know. We didn't originally have a plan like this, but it kind of just like happened and we're really excited about it. But we want to know what you think and whether or not you think it's helpful. We will see you in the next episode, guys. Woo-hoo!